Morning, everybody. I see we have not leveled out yet, so Rami's still twitching. Uh, we want to invite our children to Children's Church. If you're uh, interested in going, just head out the back door. Your teacher will meet you and lead you back there. And before we start, let's take a, uh, some time in prayer. Lord, how great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. And Lord, we're so grateful for your steadfast love to your church. How faithful you are to your people. Um, Lord, where would we be without that assurance that you will never leave us or forsake us? Uh, what great news this is. And uh, Lord, this morning we, we pray for other churches here in the Antelope Valley who are joined together to worship as well. I think especially of Soma communities who are um, still searching for a, a new pastor. We pray, Lord, that uh, by your providence, your love, and your care for them, you will lead them to the right guy to lead that congregation. So show them the right direction to go. And Lord, we rejoice with Soma at the support that they've received from Grace Chapel. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that that would be a blessing to that church as well as, uh, they, as we're all engaged to see the gospel go forward. Um, may we support each other in prayer and in practical ways as well. So would you please, Lord, lead them to the right man to be their pastor, to lead them into the next phase for that church and to see what great things you're going to accomplish in the Antelope Valley through them. Lord, now as we turn to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand, um, help us to apprehend what it is that you're saying, and sink your message of hope deep into our heart. Be with us now as we read your word, as we study, as we hear from it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 15 um, really is starting a new direction in Luke. He's, this is going to be the, the home stretch of parables. Uh, the end of 14, beginning of 15, we're just going to hit a long string of parables all the way up until chapter 19. Um, so before we begin, I just want to say a little bit about parables. Um, there's, there's some common misunderstandings about them. Um, first of all, do they have to be true to be true? In other words, did Jesus have to meet somebody who this happened to in order to tell that story? I've heard that argued before, and if you don't believe that, you don't believe in biblical inerrancy. And uh, what I want to say is this is a literary type that Jesus is using. He's telling a story to illustrate his point. And so just because it's fiction doesn't mean it's false. <laughs> so if you ever hear somebody say, it's got to be literally true, it's got to have happened, or, or Jesus would be lying, that's not really accurate. That's, that's not a good way to say that. So these stories that Jesus is about to tell us don't necessarily have to have happened. He didn't have to meet somebody who went out and lost a sheep and put it on his shoulders and brought it back. But the story itself would be familiar to the people. They would know what he meant by that. So that's the first part. The second thing is when you look at parables, um, you have to understand that they're going alongside a teaching. So the, the parable is a, is a teaching beside a teaching. So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use these parables to tell us something. Um, often parables have really one major point, and that's it. So you look at the parable and you just kind of go with the flow of the story and see what the, what the point of it is. And then the next little thing to keep in mind is not every detail in a parable is representative of something. Sometimes they're just there to support the story. So if you have somebody who, who says, oh, look, the 10 coins and one's lost and the 10 represents and, and what that one lost coin, it, probably not. <laughs> That's, the, 10, the 10 coins was just there to convey the fact that one was lost. There's nothing magical in that. So we have to take the story as a whole to get at what its meaning is. And once you do, you, you get the point, hey, these are really helpful stories. These, these are really great ways to teach. 
Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to say on parables is, I've heard people say, why did Jesus teach in parables? And they say, well, because he wanted to make it memorable so that it would sink deep into their hearts so they'd remember this story. And I suppose that is partially true, but when Jesus was asked, why do you teach in parables? He said, because the kingdom of God has been revealed to you, but to others, it's hidden. And so let them, you know, lest they hear and, and believe with their heart, and they turn. So the parables aren't necessarily only there to be great teaching tools to tell us stories to remind us, but in some ways, it's to confuse his adversaries at the time. So they wouldn't get what he's talking about. So he tells these stories. So it's not always to clearly illustrate a point to everybody in the universe. Sometimes it's to confuse people. But to us, to his people, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been revealed. And so for us, the parables take on this, this living narrative that help us to understand him better. But if you don't believe him and you hear the parable, it doesn't make any sense. Because I'm not going there. I'm not going where the parable is teaching me. So that's just a little side note on, on what parables are about, because we're going to hit a long string of them. So now chapter 15, it consists really of three parables. The two we read this morning, and then the most famous one, the prodigal son. Um, I was tossed back and forth all week. Do I do all of chapter 15 in one shot? Because they're all saying the same thing. Well, I didn't want to because I really want to spend some time on the prodigal son. There, that, that's the richest of it. It gets the most detail in it. And so I said, well, well, I'll just do these two. And then I thought, but I feel like I'm you know, only half telling the story because it's these two are leading up to the parable of the, the prodigal son. So what I want to announce is uh, you ha all have to come back next week because we're going to do the introduction this week, and then you'll get the rest of the story next week. So everybody, I'm counting on you all coming back. Um, even our visitors, you've got to come back and hear the rest of it. Uh, what I plan on doing with these first two parables is kind of set up what Jesus is going to do in the parable of the prodigal son. Um, we'll, we'll lay some groundwork in looking at these two parables, because, I mean, they're teaching something. Uh, but the third one is the one where he really fleshes it out, has the most detail, the longest story, the most uh, engaging picture, the most heart-engaging picture. Uh, so that's what is, it's going to look like this morning. I hope, I hope you all come back and we can finish together on this. So here's how the story begins. Is Remember last week Jesus had gone to a dinner party and ruined it. <laughs> he, he told people, you know, don't invite people who, can, who are great. Invite people off the street. Um, he he uh, just laid into the, the Pharisees. He healed on the Sabbath. He did everything to irritate them at this dinner party um, because they were sitting there judging him. Well, more of the same today. Listen to how this begins. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're still mad about this. So first of all, the tax collectors and the sinners, tax collectors were traitors to Israel. They had gotten in league with Rome, and the Romans would say, this is how much money we expect you to bring in in taxes. Uh, so your, your particular tax is this, maybe this road, you're going to charge the travel tax on the road, and you have to bring this much money in. They would often get more than that for themselves. And so tax collectors sometimes were, were rich because they would overcharge on the taxes and, and rip people off. So the, the, the Israelites would look at them and go, they're traitors and they're thieves. And they really hated them. They thought they were bad people. And then when he says sinners, that's just this whole category of people. That is anybody who was not perfect like the Pharisees were. Gentiles were sinners. Um, people who had fallen on hard times were sinners. If you had a, a, a blindness or an illness or something wrong with you, well, obviously it was because of sin in your life or maybe sin in your parents' life, and you're being punished. And so this is how the Pharisees looked at these people was 
the less fortunate they must be sinners. God must be judging them. Because if he loved them, they'd be rich and, and comfortable like we are. So these are the people who are coming to Jesus. They come to hear him te- his, uh, his teaching. Um, they want to hear what he has to say. The Pharisees and the scribes, meanwhile, they grumble. In the Hebrew word, there is what's called onomatopoeic. It sounds like grumbling when you say it in Greek. It sounds like... They're grumbling about this. They look at Jesus and they're upset that the sinners are coming to him. How terrible is this? And their grumbling says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that word receives, I think, is is too weakly translated. It, It has more of a flavor of he welcomes them. He is glad to see them coming. He doesn't just receive them like I receive a letter from somebody. He, he welcomes them in. He's glad to have them come in. What a terrible person he is. Well, were the Pharisees wrong in feeling like that? I, I mean, there's, there's biblical teaching that says, hey, don't hang around with, with sinners. Don't hang around with bad people. Psalm 1, for example, says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. So shouldn't he be doing Psalm 1, Jesus? Aren't you violating this? There are places in the law that say, hey, don't hang around with the wicked. Don't go in that direction. So when they look at Jesus and they grumble at him, they're, they're judging him according to the law and saying, you're doing something wrong here. Why do you receive these people? And so they're mad at him. Were they right? Well, remember Jesus when he would run into somebody who had leprosy, for example. Jesus could heal in any number of ways. We saw him heal from a distance, say, go home and your kid's better. But when he'd run into somebody with leprosy, he would often come up and touch them. Doesn't that make him unclean? No, for Jesus, the cleanliness doesn't disappear from him. It goes out from him. So he touches and heals this person. So the same thing with this. He's hanging around with these sinners and these tax collectors, but it doesn't make him a sinner and a tax collector. It doesn't, the, the sin doesn't flow into him that way because what he does is he goes to them and he teaches them and he says, you're free. God has forgiven you. Now go and sin no more. So he, he comes to them not to welcome them and to sit with them and, and say, well, you know, let's party but to call them to repentance and to tell them, hey, you need to turn from your wicked ways. Your faith has made you whole. Go and don't sin anymore. So the the holiness doesn't diminish in Christ. It goes out from Jesus. And that's what's happening. So when they say you shouldn't hang around with bad people, well, they're right, unless you're Jesus Christ. (laughs) Unless you have the power of Christ to go and forgive them. Because consider what the Pharisees' message was. Look, we've been trying to reach these people for years. We have a long list of rules that they have to obey, and they're not obeying them, and therefore they're wicked people. And so if they would just listen to our rules and do it our way and fast on the right days and wash before they come in from the, uh, the, the market and do this and do that, then they would be fine. But they won't listen to us. And so they're mad at Jesus. Now, Think about this for a second. Jesus, in, by the end of the book, they're going to look at Jesus and say, he is a sinner who's deserving of death. He blasphemes God. He makes himself equal with God. You have to execute him because he's so rotten. If that's their attitude towards Jesus, why are they mad he's hanging around with sinners? Shouldn't matter, right? You know, hey, you're one of them. You go hang around with him. I don't care. They're angry at Jesus because they look at who he is. They look at what he's doing and they say, They're conflicted internally is what's happening. They look at him and they go, this is like one of the prophets of old. 
This is like Jeremiah. This is like Elijah. This is like any of the prophets. He's coming in with this powerful teaching, this, this powerful teaching that we can't refute. He comes in and he lays hands on even the dead and they rise. There is something special about this man that we can't, we can't dismiss. And so they're attracted to him. They're, they have this desire to have him be one of them. Come and join us. We want you on our team because you're really good at volleyball. Or you can really hit a softball. This is the, the first kid picked in gym class. They want him on their team, but he doesn't play according to their rules. And so they're mad at him. And they can't dismiss him, and they can't rope him in, and so it's very frustrating for them. Jesus, you should be doing things our way. Clearly, you're a prophet. Clearly, you're, clearly God is on your side. You're, you're powerful. You're doing amazing things. But you've got to get this Sabbath thing figured out. You can't keep doing this on the Sabbath. You've got to stop hanging around with sinners and just treating them like normal people. They've got to be treated like sinners, right? So they're conflicted because Jesus won't play on their team. He's on his own team. So what we get next is Jesus then tells them a parable. Um, it's not clear which them it is. Is it the sinners and the tax collectors that are coming to him, or is it the Pharisees? Um, in the end, I think it applies to both because it applies to us too. So here's the, here's the parable he tells them. What man having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous who need no repentance. So who's the focus of this, this parable? Who, who's at the center of this parable? Is it the 99? They get left in an open field and never talked about again. Is it the lost sheep? Do we get a whole bunch of detail about the lost sheep? Nope, just that he wandered away. So who's this parable about? This parable is about God going out seeking after sinners. He goes out to look for them. And the reason you know that is because at the end of the parable, it's littered with joy. He puts the, the missing sheep on his shoulders rejoicing. He goes home and he says, rejoice with me. And then Jesus interprets it and says, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner. So the, the point of the parable isn't so much about the sheep. It's more about the shepherd. And so the shepherd goes out. He, he finds the sheep. He brings the sheep in. And in heaven, there's rejoicing because look at what Jesus is doing. He's bringing people back. Then the same thing happens with the woman who has the, the 10 silver coins, the 10 drachma. And she loses one. And so she, she tears the house apart, sweeps out the corners, looks everywhere, lights a lamp. She's going everywhere through this house trying to find that one missing drachma. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And, and the angels in heaven rejoice over a lost sinner. So... The, the point of the parables is Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees, he's explaining to the crowds, this is what I'm doing. My role, my ministry, my calling is to go out and seek and save the lost. That's where I'm heading is I'm going to go find the lost people and I'm going to delight in the finding them. So you Pharisees, get over it. My joy is to go out and seek and save the lost. And to the people who are lost, you sinners, you tax collectors, great news, I'm coming. I'm coming after you. So the point really is, Jesus is going out and he's seeking his people. Look at his flock. 
It's 100, 100 sheep. That is, in that time period, a very modest flock size. Typically, a flock of about 300 would be considered a large one. It's not tiny. It's not large. It's a very modest one. And one sheep, he loses one one-hundredth of his flock, and he goes after it. The woman who loses a coin, a drachma, is, is what the coin is. is. One drachma was roughly about a day's wage for an average worker. So she's got 10 days wages, and she loses one, and she goes searching after it. So the point isn't so much, look at how valuable these things are, that he goes after them, that the, he, he's going to go rescue this. Isn't that sheep so valuable? No, that's the point is, the sheep is average worth. What brings the shepherd joy is recovering what was lost. It's not because it was such a wonderful sheep. It's because I have gone out and I have found this sheep. The sheep wanders off, could have gone into a ravine and been killed, could have been eaten by jackals. He goes out and he finds it and he says, no, I found it, I've rescued it, and I brought it back, and this brings me great joy. So if you know somebody who was part of the flock, who was in the money bag with the other drachma, and who has gone astray, what Jesus is saying is, I delight to go out and find that person. If they're mine, if they're genuinely mine, I will seek them out. I will go out and I will locate them. This is really tremendously good news for us because what it means is you don't have to sit and wait till the other person figures it out. They, the, the flock didn't sit there and, and keep buying, trying to call the other sheep back and begging them, please return. No, the shepherd says, I'm aggressively going to go out and I'm going to find that lost sheep. I'm going to grab that sheep and I'm bringing it back. This sheep is mine. I'm not going to relinquish my, my ownership of the sheep simply because it walked away. So if you know folks, if you know people in your neighborhood or in your family who have departed from the faith, who have walked away from church, you don't have to write them off and say there's no hope. They, they, there's no way that, that they could ever be reached. The shepherd delights to go out and find that sheep. It brings him tremendous joy to pick that sheep up and put him on his shoulders and walk home. And then in heaven... Heaven looks and says, look at what Jesus did. God has redeemed the lost. He has, he has gone out after people who have turned utterly against him and brings them in. And the result is in heaven there's a joy un, unmeasurable because they're watching Jesus do this, because they're watching God save the lost. So if, if, that's, if that's where you are, or that's where you think you are, if that's where you know somebody is and it really pains you, understand you can call on the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And he will leave the 99 go out and seeking that one that's lost. He will go out and rescue that one and drag it back. On his own shoulders, he'll bear it. He, he'll go into the house and say, I'm missing a coin. And he'll strip the house bare looking for it. Sweep the corners, light the lights, anything he can do to find it. That's what Jesus' mission is, is he's come to seek and to save the lost. What about us 99? Um, we're not really part of the parable. We're, we're um, window dressing in this parable. However, I think we can say a few things about this without violating the spirit of what Jesus is trying to do, because he is talking to the tax or to the uh, Pharisees and the scribes. And what he's telling the scribes and Pharisees is, "I go after those who need repentance." Remember, he spoke earlier about a physician. A physician doesn't come and heal people who aren't sick. A physician comes and he, he finds who's sick, and that's who he comes to. So when Jesus is talking to these, these uh, Pharisees and these scribes, what he's saying is, you have no need of repentance. 
You have your righteousness all sewn up. You've got every little law lined up. You got it all figured out, and you're judging me. I didn't come for you. That's not who I came for. I came for those who know they need repentance, those who would come to me and say, Son of man, have mercy. So you scribes and Pharisees, don't be upset when I just walk past you, when I don't spend a whole bunch of time with you, when I would rather spend time with a bunch of sinners. So where are we in the parable? Are we the 99? Nope. (laughs) We're not the 99. The 99 are the one that Jesus left and went to find us. What he's done is he's gathered a bunch of wayward sheep, a bunch of lost drachma together, and that's who we are. So when we look at what Jesus is doing, when we watch him go after people, when we see him heading towards people that you would think would never come to know him, how do you feel about that? We rejoice. I mean, I see in my Facebook feed, every time somebody who was an atheist and now is a Christian shows up, somebody's posting that on Facebook. We delight in those stories, as we should, because heaven rejoices in those. And so that's, that's the story that we get to participate in. Not that we were the 99. That's the ones who said, hey, I don't have any need for repentance. I've got it good. I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. I've got everything lined up. I've done all my good deeds. I'm set. And Jesus says, well, good luck with that. See how that, see how that works for you. Um, meanwhile, I'm going to go out and find these sinners who know they need to repent, who realize they have stepped over the line badly. That's who I'm heading for. So the message here is this idea of, of God's, what does he desire? Who does he seek after? He seeks after those who are lost, those who will admit they need repentance, those who recognize that they have departed from who he is. They, they are separated from him. They have no delusions of their own righteousness. And in this time, it's probably because the Pharisees stood there and told them, you have no righteousness. They heard it on a regular basis. But in, in fact, the human heart knows. We recognize this. When people sin, Romans chapter 1 is is talking about that. Those who who do accidentally what is in accordance with the law, their conscience tells them, hey, that's good. And when they violate it, their conscience tells them, hey, that's bad. So they know that they need help. They just sometimes can't find it. So the result in heaven, though, is praise. And it's not praise for us. they, They didn't stop and praise the coin, did they? They didn't hold the lamb up and go, oh, what a wonderful lamb. Look at what we found. The the joy in heaven is is in over what Jesus has done. So as Jesus is going to get now to the parable of the prodigal son, he's going to take this and make it not so clinical as we've seen this morning, um, where it's just this lamb comes back and there's rejoicing in heaven. He's going to make it much more personal. He's going to take it down into a family something we can't identify with and and wrestle through. But what he's done this morning is he set us up for that by telling us, this is what my mission is. So don't be surprised when I go out and I do these things. The good news is nobody's beyond him, right? He he couldn't, the, the, the sheep that got away from the flock couldn't get past him. He went out and found it. He located it. The drachma hit the ground and rolled under the couch in a dark corner, and it wasn't lost forever. He was able to go out and find the drachma and bring it back in, put it back in the money bag with the, with the purse and say, I, I have what I've lost, and that's, that's good news for me. So for us, we have to be careful of a couple of things. Um, 
if you see somebody out working with sinners and tax collectors, it may not be necessarily that they are a sinner or a tax collector themselves. Sometimes people will go out and, and work with people like that on purpose to make a connection and to hope that the, the shepherd is going to bring them in, to hope that the homeowner is going to find them and bring them in. Um, I don't think we have a problem with that here, but sometimes in Christian culture we can look sideways at people who are doing those kind of things and, and ask questions about, well, is that the social gospel or are they preaching the real gospel or uh, aren't they just being like everybody else, capitulating to the culture? And I just want to warn us to, to take care with that. There's, there's quite a bit that the Bible has to say about a pride, proud spirit and a judging heart, and it ain't too good. If we had been there in that day, what would we have done? Now, the Pharisees, don't forget, they looked and they said, had we been there in the days of the prophets, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done those things. And Jesus' response is, not only do you do it, you build their tombs. You would have done exactly the same thing. He's, he's telling him you do the exact same thing. So don't get too proud in ourselves and look back and go, well, had I been around in that day, I certainly wouldn't have judged. You might have. The human heart is, tends towards pride. It tends toward self-inflation. And so the, I think the, the parables warn us against that, is don't get too sure of yourself in these things. Remember, it wasn't you who figured out Christianity. It was a shepherd who came and got you. Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which is lost. That's how bad it was, is God had to come himself to get you. So the, the part of the warning here is, is a warning against spiritual pride on our part. Now, I don't, think, I don't see any, like, anything like that here, um, but I don't get to look into everybody's heart in depth and understand what's going on. So this is what the Bible says. We're going to say that, and if it applies to you, listen. Listen to that. So this is, this is the parables of the lost and the found. And so next week, we're going to wind up looking at the rest of the story, which is going to be the parable of the prodigal, um, where Jesus is going to flesh this out more for us. Uh, but in the meantime, understand what our Savior is doing. His mission, his goal is to go out, go out, outside the comfort of the church, outside the comfort of Israel, outside the synagogue. He goes out to seek and save the, that which is lost. And so as we are disciples of his, as we follow the leading of the master, that's where we go to. We're called to head outside. We're called to hang around with messy people. We're called to be friends with them. It would be a badge of honor to have somebody come to you and say, well, you hang around with weird people, sinners and nasty folks. Why do you hang around with people like that? that accept that as a badge of honor. Your Lord and Savior wore that badge. So if you get that, you're in good company, the best of company, I would say. That's our mission. That's our goal. He's come out to save and to seek. And now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, he sent us out on that same mission. So that's what we're called to. That, that's what our goal is. Remember, Luke is about how to be a better disciple. Luke is teaching us discipleship principles from Jesus' ministry. And the, the, the discipleship principle here is seek and save that which is lost. That's what he's called us to. That's, that's his mission for the church. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would spare us from any form of spiritual pride. Um, and that particular sin is so sneaky, it can creep up in the oddest places. 
But Lord, I pray that we would remain humble. I thank you that we are in league with other churches here in the Antelope Valley to remind us that you're doing more in the valley than we see on a week-to-week basis. And so we pray that, um, that we would be glad to be partners with those who are engaged in the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I want to personally thank you for coming after me after I wandered away, for heading out into the desert to rescue a lamb that thought he knew best. Lord, thank you for your mercy to me, and I I pray for, um, I'm sure many of us have family members who we are concerned about, those who don't know you. We have friends who, who don't understand and aren't interested in Christianity, co-workers who don't want to talk about it. Lord, we pray that the good shepherd would have to head after them as well, that the owner of the house would sweep that corner and find that missing coin as well. Lord, have mercy, we pray, on the Antelope Valley, on our fans, uh, family and friends. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.